Welcome to the Physio Perspective Podcast. We are physical therapy students simplifying sports, injuries, and the human body. The purpose of this show is for those who are interested in different sports injuries, but don't necessarily know much about them. Hey, hey guys, how's it going? I'm Brett. Uh, I'm here with Fernando, and this is the Physio Perspective. Uh, we're going to start off with a little special announcement here that Fernando is going to make. Yeah, I was recently appointed to Core Ambassador Elect in the state of Wisconsin. Really? So, uh, tell me, tell me a little bit more about that, Fernando. Yeah. So the the Core Ambassador is kind of the link between the Student Assembly Board of Directors and the Student Special Interest Group. Um, so a little bit more about that. The Student Special Interest Group is a student group providing opportunities to increase student involvement within the APTA at national and state levels. So the Student Special Interest Group is, there are one in each state, I believe. I believe some states may not have one yet, but certainly getting to the point where every state has one. Um, so that's a special interest group. Inside of that, there are presidents, vice presidents, secretary, and I believe one other position. Um, and the Student Assembly Board of Directors is actually the national student board. So there are 10 student physical therapists who were newly appointed to their positions at National Student Conclave in Oregon. Um, so pretty cool there. So the so core ambassadors, there's one in each state and just looking to promote involvement and move along the profession. So pretty cool. Yeah, cool. Um, I think it's a really good thing to have like on your resume, a good honor and accolade to have. And I, I can't think of anyone better to have it. Um, I guess my advice to younger students trying to apply and to get into PT schools, those extracurricular activities that are really going to make you stand out in your application, those are the things you really need to focus on. Grades are important and everything, but those extracurriculars are really going to make you stand out. agree 100%. You know, you can't just have that 4.0 GPA. If you want to get into PT school, you have to be involved in other areas and multiple areas at that, too. You bet. Um, so yeah, before we start uh, the main topics of the show, we just want to give a little update on Aaron Rodgers. He actually has been be- back at practice with the Packers, so he's mo- most likely able to return sooner than we expected, um, especially if the Packers remain in the playoff hunt. So so keep your ears and eyes open for that. Definitely good news for the NFL. Um, so keep an eye on that. Um, moving on to our first full topic, we have Richard Sherman, who recently ruptured his Achilles tendon. And on Thursday Night Football, which ironically has been outspoken about against Thursday Night Football. So, so yeah, on the play, actually, Sherman's just doing, you know, he's covering his man like usual. I, I don't think it was a slant route, but the, the wide receiver cut inside, and Sherman was trying to keep up with him. And then on the play, it's really hard to see the Achilles rupture, um, but it looks like his foot just kind of gives out almost on him. And then looked really painful when he was walking out the field. But uh, can you tell me a little bit more about, like, the mechanism of, of his injury? Yeah, yeah. So he was already putting load through the ground, um, so the muscle was contracting and the tendon wasn't tight. And once you start to add more load, the tension gets, gets pulled through the Achilles. And, you know, with that being sore before, that thing just popped as there was damage in the, the tendon there. Um, so that thing rolled up, popped. Um, definitely not a easy injury to recover from. Yeah. Um, I, I saw that a quote from Sherman afterwards, and he stated, uh, one of those things that you have to play through for as long as you can. When it goes, it goes. Uh, uh, what do you think about that statement, Fernando? Yeah, that's kind of a iffy statement. Um, we talked about that a little bit earlier. Definitely questionable. Um, you know, he has to understand that he's putting his career in jeopardy. Um, there's some research from Shirzad 
um, that 36% of NFL players did not return to playing at NFL level. That's that's a crazy high number, actually. Definitely, definitely, yeah, yeah. So all the the body weight and force is being sent through the ankle um, in this, you know, when you're trying to rehab this. So it's it's definitely easy to have setbacks or you know under under loading the tissue it's it's this fine balance between you know optimal loading of the tissue to try to re rehab that um so it's, it's definitely a long process i think we're looking at like 11 months realistically to get back to e- e- the elite a level that he's been at if he even gets to that point so yeah so uh what what motion at the ankle actually caused the Achilles to rupture? Was it when he was kind of putting his foot into the ground, or was it more or less when he was, you know, bringing that foot up? Like, what motion actually snapped that Achilles tendon? Yeah, yeah. So he's pushing down. So we call that plantar flexion. So he's pushing his foot downwards, um, kind of pointing his toes action. Um, and that, that muscle contracts, shortens, pulls the tendon, and that thing just goes there. Um, hmm. So a little bit more about the anatomy um, on the back of the lower leg, we have three main muscle bellies that make up what is also known as the triceps surae. So you have the gastrocnemius, <clears throat> the soleus. So the gastroc has two heads, um, two bellies, and the soleus is one big belly. Um, the gastroc sits on top of the soleus, and both two run down the lower leg and blend to form the Achilles tendon. We actually saw this in our cadaver lab. It's pretty pretty cool. We tore back the Achilles. Um, the soleus is really interesting. You, you know, we kind of pulled, I know in my lab group, we pulled on that muscle and saw the, the foot point down. So there's pretty mm. pretty cool stuff that we got to see here in PT school. Um, so, yeah. For sure. Uh, so what what are the symptoms of an Achilles rupture, if you want to go into that a little bit? Sure, yeah, we can touch on that. You definitely feel that, uh, for a rupture, you feel that instant pain, severe pain above the heel. You may even hear a pop of the tendon, and you may see bruising or swelling and that inability to point the toes like we were talking about sure sure um so i mean you kind of you kind of can tell how it's torn from that i know there's other tests and stuff but uh i've i've seen a video like this morning actually on facebook i tagged you in it but mm-hmm. uh where other muscles actually rupture and i think the example was the biceps when he was trying to do a bicep curl or something with an insane amount of weight yeah. and his biceps tendon actually snapped and rolled up his arm and like balled up in there uh, does the Achilles do this in a similar manner when it ruptures? Yeah, yeah, it does do the similar manner. Um, it kind of rolls up like we were talking about. Um, and and on a, if you're trying to diagnose this injury, you might you might run a physical exam and you would watch the person walk or run to see if they have any compensation. Um, there's also a special test that, that we do. It's called the Thompson test. It's a special test where the patient is lying on their stomach, also known as prone, and you squeeze the calf. Um, while the person is relaxed and the toes should point into plantar flexion like we Hmm. said the foot pointing down in this case upwards because they're laying on their stomach Um, and that that should go if that if the achilles is torn you might not see that or it may be weak weak action there so yeah on the affected side you'll see little to no movement um so yeah cool uh so what what will richard sherman's rehabilitation process look like then if you want to go into that a little bit more yeah we can talk about that Best part, um, yeah, we have, yeah. So definitely having some exercises once once that thing is is uh, surgically fixed, and that swelling goes down. Um, so to hit the gastroc, we we'd see some calf raises, um, starting to progress with weight, um, and to hit the soleus, uh, we'd see a, a soleus squat. So that looks like a wall squat um, while you're raising your heels off the ground. 
Um, there's also another one to hit the solus, the solus single leg bridge. So you're kind of doing like a one foot is on the ground, the other one is straight while you're on your on your back, lift your butt in the air, and you kind of lift the heel that's on the step there. Um, but yeah, kind of hard to explain without the pictures. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely, if you have time later, just to look up some of those exercises, they're, yeah. they're pretty neat. Um, so what do you think the future is looking like for Thursday Night Football? I know a lot of players have kind of expressed their disdain for it. Uh, do you think playing on Thursdays at all is allowing enough rest time for the players? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, with the addition of Thursday Night Football, um, you definitely, I think there may, there have been more injuries, um, just anecdotally. Um, it's just less time to for the players to recover. You know, they have to they play on Sunday or they might even play on Monday. I don't know. Do you know if they schedule Sunday, Monday to Thursday games? Yes, uh, not Monday to Thursday okay. typically. So they, I know they do Sunday to Thursday. Sunday though. to Thursday, yeah. So you just get the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off before you have to prepare for a game. Right. Um, and, and honestly, most of the pre- preparation is trying to re- you know recoup from the last game. So it's not like you, it's not like they're trying to amp things up. They're just trying to recover from the last game. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see. I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't see the NFL taking away Thursday right. night football. I think, I think there's a lot of money that's being made yeah. there. So it really, really kind of depends on on whose whose interests are at at hand. Really, if it's right. It's about the money or the player's health, really. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting to hear players speak up about that, for sure. Like, uh, there's definitely an impact on their health. Um, but, yeah. All right, moving into the next topic, we have Andrew Luck with a mysterious shoulder injury. Um, Brett has a little, little more about this. So what has his shoulder injury history looked like? Um, I've heard a lot of different things from soreness to fluid buildup. What's going on there with Luck? So, yeah, he's, a, he's had a – quite extensive history of shoulders his throwing shoulder actually just being injured um dating back to 2015 uh so basically it's been lingering since then but it started with shoulder soreness that developed at the end of september back in 2015 a few days after a game he was sacked three times and i think he was hit a total of seven times um originally thought it was a sub subluxation of his throwing shoulder which is essentially just a fancy word of saying the shoulder is kind of dislocated um, ex- experts kind of believe there was an issue with Luck's shoulder labrum, which is basically a rim of, of cartilage in the shoulder joint kind of stabilizing the head of your arm, which is it's the humerus, basically that bone. It's kind of a ball and socket joint, but basically it just stabilizes that into the shoulder joint. Uh, and then in November of 2015, uh, later on that season, he was diagnosed with a lacerated kidney and a partial abdominal tear. So that, that really wasn't un- that wasn't really related to the shoulder, but it kept him out for the rest of the season. Um, and then fans also learned that he tore two or car- tore cartilage on two of his ribs too. So it was really a rough season for him. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then in 2016, so last year, he was actually I think he played 15 games, but he was pretty much on and off the weekly injury report for most of the season. The one game he did miss was due to a concussion. So Luck was able to play almost all of last season. So you know, fans are probably wondering why he's unable to play without any new injuries. I mean, you'd think he had. The time to recover during all of last the off season. Yeah, so actually last January the Colts owner uh, Jim Irsay announced over Twitter, <laughs> how official, <laughs> but uh, that uh, Luck actually had surgery on his throwing shoulder to repair the torn labrum back from 2015, uh, and with a surgery like this, it was estimated that he would be out for six to nine months, uh, but they thought he'd be able to make his return at the start of training camp. That in fact did not happen, and Luck was actually dealing with more shoulder soreness throughout September and October this year. 
Yeah, so Luck practiced for two weeks after more than nine months of rehab on the shoulder in which he sustained his partially torn labrum. But when the soreness developed two weeks ago, the Colts gave Luck a cortisone shot that doctors hoped would cause the pain to subside, but in fact it did not. Uh, so the Colts actually did place him in the injury reserve, so he's done for the year. Um, the last we knew that Luck is over in Europe actually seeking unspecified therapy techniques. Hmm. So that's, that's quite interesting. Hmm. Uh, there's actually been rumors, too, out there that it's, this injury could possibly be career-ending for him. But then again, none of the rumors have been confirmed by any medical professional that's been involved with this injury. So there's actually a lot to digest here, uh, but what do you think about this case? Yeah, that's really interesting with the unspecified therapy techniques. But um, you, you'd think, going back to the cortisone shot, you think that should have helped at least somewhat with the soreness. Uh, it's really suspicious to me. You know, to me that says that he has a serious problem with his shoulder. There's some there's some serious damage there. The, the shot should have had at least some effect on his pain, um, but he's probably going through some you know high levels of pain. But he's really good at playing through it. Is the thing you know that there are times when athletes they're able to play through the pain, uh, the adrenaline of game day. You know the crowd, the lights, the noise. Um, I've been there before in my playing career. Not the crowd, the lights, the noise part, but <laughs> <laughs> but playing through the pain part where you you. You try to you know p- play through the pain, do the best you can to manage that. Um, but you know ultimately it comes down to the athlete's decision whether they want to play or not. Um, but you know playing through the pain has potentially been detrimental to the rest of his career. So. For sure. Uh, and then the last segment we kind of wanted to discuss a little bit was concussions and concussion protocol. Uh, it's definitely a, a very very expansive topic, so we just kind of wanted to give a little bit of an overview. Uh, so basically. There was a few concussions, I think, last week or two weeks ago. Uh, Kyrie Irving and Al Horford in particular. Al Horford actually sustained a concussion. I think they were suspecting one for Kyrie Irving, but he's been playing recently, so I don't think anything came of that. Um, But we've actually also seen concussions this past week with Falcons running back Devontae Freeman. Uh, He actually sustained the third concussion of his career already, and he hasn't been in the league too long. Um, And then Phillip Rivers... He's the Chargers quarterback, Jacoby Brissett, who's the Colts' current current starting quarterback, and then Adam Jones, who's a, a corner for the Bengals. They're all entering concussion protocol this week. Um, so, so, Fernando, could you basically just you know give me a little bit of an overview of concussions? Yeah, so a, a concussion is a traumatic blow to the head that acutely, which means short-term effect, has a short-term effect on brain function. Um, and you don't actually always lose consciousness. In fact, most concussions... Um, and athletes that athletes have do not they do not lose consciousness um, some symptoms that that we see with concussions are headaches the ears ring confusion or they have fatigue which are very common side effects symptoms um, so yeah the sideline a little bit more about the sideline screen um, athletic trainers or even physicians in this case they may ask questions about their alertness or orientation such as questions such as like which field are we at who were you playing? Um, did you win last week? Those are common questions to kind of gauge their alertness and orientation to the current situation. Um, and they also may administer, I believe they have to, or most would administer a SCAT-5, which is a sport concussion assessment tool. Um, and, you know, the first step is actually recognizing that someone might have a concussion. You know, so you have to have that recognition first in order to test it. And that a lot of times is where it goes awry is these, these concussions are unrecognizable. Um, and also to, to 
perform a test, there are motor tasks. So these, these athletes have to do a tandem gait, which is a one foot in front of the other kind of walk, um, and also different balance, balance tests and finger-to-nose tests. So Yeah, this is uh, it's really scary just seeing that concussions can go undiagnosed, you know. Um, and it doesn't have to be at the professional level either. I remember my high school football playing days, I don't think I was ever diagnosed with a concussion, but mm-hmm. there was a time where I was, I was a sophomore playing on varsity. I went down on kickoff and tackled the guy, but I... I blacked out for a second. Next thing I know, I'm on the ground looking up. And my teammates are telling me to get off the field. Uh, so, so what do you? What would they classify that kind of, you know, concussion as? Like, the, yeah, know. yeah, that might be just like a sub-concussive hit to the head. Yeah. Um, so, you know, sometimes that happens where you don't get the full amount of symptoms, but it's still a blow to the head. Yeah. So going back to concussions in professional sports, we just kind of want to take a quick look at the NBA's concussion program and uh, how it relates to a player returning back to action. Uh, the NFL actually has a similar concussion protocol, but, you know, it's more related to playing the sport of football, obviously. But basically, a player in the concussion protocol program can't return to the floor until the following criteria have been met. Uh, and basically that criteria is that he's been without concussion-related sy- symptoms at rest. Uh, he's been evaluated by a physician. He's completed uh, successfully, or successfully completed the NBA return to participation exertion protocol. And then basically having a team physician discussing the return to participation process and decision with the director of the NBA concussion program. And then that return to... Per- participation protocol consists of basically being able to uh, do exercise on a stationary bike to jogging to agility work to non-contact team drills and basically with each step of the process a player must be symptom free to move to that next step Uh, if he's not symptom free after a step he'll stop until he is and then he'll begin again at that previous step of the protocol Uh, uh, i.e. basically the last step he passed without any symptoms uh, and it's also important to note that there's no time frame to complete the protocol. Each injury and in player is different, and recovery time can vary in each case. Hmm. Uh, so do you think that the concussion protocol is extensive enough? I feel like it is, but uh, how is the game – like, do you think it's because of the game is played? Like, why are we seeing people get multiple concussions, you know, over over the course of time? Yeah, I, I think going back to it, I think – Part of the issue is detecting that people have concussions. You know, these people, they might have a concussion, try to keep playing without it being recognized, and then, you know, go back, to have, a, have a real concussion, and then this is exacerbate the symptoms. So I think it's more of a recognition issue. The concussion protocol seems pretty extensive, as you just went through. It's pretty long and intense. Um, I think we're doing okay there. Um, I think, you know, it's kind of in, in the nature of, both football and basketball in particular hockey as well you know these guys are flying around they're big bodies in basketball they have the hard floor without any helmets football obviously banging heads um and into the heads to head head to ground all that heavy contact um so i I, like i said i think it's more of a detection issue than than a protocol you know it's pretty extensive so for sure um, so yeah, that was pretty much that on that topic. And yeah. I think that kind of wraps up our show. Yep. That's our show for today. Thanks for joining us. Episode two of the physio perspective podcast. Um, look forward to hearing our next episode coming up pretty soon. I think we're gonna have a quick turnaround here and um, we have Thanksgiving coming up. So yeah, we really appreciate you guys listening in every week and it, it really is the highlight of our week, I think. So yeah, it's a really good break from exams and all that studying that we do. So thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time on the physio perspective podcast.